John chapter 9. You can find it in your bulletin or on your app or in your Bible if you brought one along. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were you, or how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked, again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he, but he, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things, do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they had called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know how who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, and the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents asked, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been, given, been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you, do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who, may be, may be, those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you are blind, you would now have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Ali, for uh, praying and reading. Thank you for reading this impossibly long portion of Scripture. Good thing you're a fast reader. Otherwise, we'd be here forever, eh? Um, <clears throat> we are, uh, once again, making our way through uh, the Gospel according to John, looking at uh, these encounters that people have with Jesus. And the hope is that through our experience of, of entering into these stories, uh, seeing these encounters that people have with Jesus, that we, if we've never had an encounter with Jesus, we would finally have one. And if we've had encounters with Jesus, but we are still young in our faith, that we would grow in our faith and our understanding of who He is. And if you're a mature Christian and you've been around a long time, and uh, you think you know Jesus, and you love Jesus, that through these encounters, you would have a fresh, new experience of who He is and what He has done for you, so that your faith and love in Him and love for Him would be deepened. And what we have seen in the last uh, several encounters, not, not all of them, but in a couple of the last encounters, is we've seen that... Uh, Jesus performs these signs, these miraculous works, and then those signs are, uh, are tied to a teaching. So they're meant to reveal something about Jesus. So for example, uh, Jesus turned water into wine, demonstrating that He has come to bring profound joy and satisfaction to us in our lives. Jesus uh, took a whole bunch of bread and He turned it into, or a little bit of bread I should say, and a couple of fish, and He turned it into this massive feast for a whole bunch of people, demonstrating that we have a deep hunger that only He can satisfy. Jesus uh, uh, met a woman at a well, and he told her that uh, he was a, a living water, that if she would come to faith in him, that he would satisfy a deep and profound thirst within her that nobody else can satisfy. And now, Jesus heals this blind man. And the reason Jesus heals this blind man is because he wants to illustrate Something that he said about himself. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can't turn back to chapter 8. But in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, and it's on the front cover of your bulletin. In verse 12 of John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does he mean by that? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's what Jesus means by that. He is saying that I am the only person. Listen carefully, okay? Jesus is saying, I am the only person in the history of the world who knows exactly what life is about. That's what he's saying. I am the only one in the history of the world, the only person in the history of the world who knows exactly what life is about. And if you follow me, I will grant you that life. But if you don't follow me, 
You will never experience that life. You will never fully get your act together. That's what he's saying. He's saying, life is about me. I am what makes life, life. Who would say something like that? Even in my most narcissistic moments, I've never gone quite that far. Or even in my most insecure moments. You know, I don't know if any of you ever do this. I'm not saying I do it. I've seen it on TV, though. (laughs) Someone's got a big presentation at work, and they stand in front of the mirror in the bathroom, and they say, you got this. You're a tiger. You're amazing. You're going to blow them away. They're not going to know what hit them. You can do it. You're trying to pump yourself up. Not even in my most insecure moments where I've had to pump myself up for a big deal have I ever said, you are the light of the world. (laughs) Even Muhammad Ali, you remember the thriller in Manila? What did he say after it? I am the greatest. Never went so far as to say this about himself. Now listen. I want to make an application before I even start the sermon. Jesus is saying, it is all about me. How do you relate to a person like that? How are you relating to this person who says that about himself? You really only have two options. He is either a king or he is a crackpot. And frankly, I respect those who say, he is a crackpot. I've listened to him. I've investigated him. I've thought about him and what he says about himself. And I think he's nuts. I respect that. I disagree with that. But I respect that because it at least is an informed, informed decision about who Jesus is. My concern is that the vast majority of people don't relate to Jesus either as a king or as a crackpot. You know how they relate to Jesus? As a consultant. He's, he's, like, he's like your cosmetics consultant who comes in and says, you know, you'd really look good with this kind of uh, shade of, of foundation and maybe you should try a little bit of this sort of rouge and that all looks very good and then you ask what the prices are and they say they, this is what they are and you say, I ain't paying that and you send them out the door and you don't buy anything. How do you relate to Jesus Maybe you're not sure how you relate to Jesus. Keep listening. Hopefully, as we carry on through this text, you'll discover more about how you actually relate to Jesus and maybe even how you should. The question for this morning is, if Jesus is the light of the world, what does that mean for you and me? If he's the light of the world, what does that mean for you and me? And this story that we're going to look at together actually illustrates what that means for us. It teaches us about the principle of spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three basic things. You can see them in the back of your bulletin in the outline. We're going to look at the fact of spiritual blindness, the nature of spiritual blindness, and the healing of spiritual blindness, just those three things. Let's go to work. First of all, this story tells us about the fact of spiritual blindness. 
Let's enter the story as it happens, okay? Here is a man who was born blind from birth. That means this guy has never, ever, ever seen with his eyes, never seen anything. Never. He's never seen a sunset. He doesn't really know what a tree looks like. He's never experienced color. And because of that, this guy has had a very truncated, very limited life. So this guy has never been educated. He lives a life of complete dependency. He's a beggar. That's how he does. He's not really ever, that's how he gets by. He's never really, if you could put it this way, he's never really lived in this world. Because we live in a world of sight. The world has always been a world of of sight. And so he has never really experienced everything that this world has to offer and life has to offer. And Jesus walks by this guy while he is sitting there begging perhaps, and Jesus has an encounter with him. And his life is never the same. And by the way, if you really encounter Jesus, your life is never the same. If you really have met Jesus, your life is never the same. You may go back, you may put up walls, you may say, I want nothing to do with that. You may start to, to, to get wigged out by religion and not be interested in Christianity. Or you may fall on your knees and call him your king. You may call him a crackpot, you may call him a king. But you can never stay the same if you have an actual encounter with the real Jesus. And so this encounter happens, and right in front of this guy, and I feel so bad for him. Can you imagine, like, there he is, and they just start talking about him, right? The disciples start talking about him. So, hey, look at that guy. He's blind. He's been born blind. Hey, Jesus, what happened? Did this guy sin, or did his parents sin that he would be born blind? And it's the age-old question. Whose fault is the suffering that you and I experience in this world? And in the ancient world... People thought, essentially, if you suffer, it's your fault. And in many of the Eastern world today, if you follow Eastern uh, pantheistic religions in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, India, etc., the, the principle of karma would basically say, say the same thing. If you suffer, it's essentially your fault. And, of course, the modern version is exactly opposite. If I suffer, it's never my fault. It must be God's fault. Or someone else's fault. And I'd love to drill down and talk about this more because this is a really important theological issue, but it's not the main point of the passage, so we're not actually going to go there. Jesus, anyway, himself shuts it down, and he says, you know, the real question isn't whose fault is it? Is it his fault or is it someone else's fault? The real question is, what can God do for him? He needs healing. And Jesus uses this opportunity to show, to use this man as an object lesson of how he is the light of the world and how that light can dawn on a human being. So what he does is, is he spits on the dirt, he turns it into mud, he sticks it on this guy's eyes, and he tells him to go wash. The guy has never seen Jesus, maybe doesn't even know his name yet, nothing. But he's told, go to this pool and wash in the pool. And the guy gets up and he goes in the pool and he washes. And the next thing you know, he can see. Now, three things about this that I think are worth pointing out. First of all, 
The fact that he was born blind means that the Bible is teaching us that every human being on the face of the earth is born spiritually blind. Baby, we were born this way. We were born not understanding who God is, not understanding uh, the the truth about the spiritual realm, not understanding the, the truth about reality. We were born blind to that. None of us naturally, when we're born, gets God. None of us. We are naturally rebellious to God, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago. We are naturally hateful towards God, even though none of us would ever say, probably, even those of us in the room who wouldn't profess to be a Christian, not a single one of you, I guess, would say, I hate God. You would just say, I have no interest in God. I'm indifferent about God. And we talked about how that is actually hatred toward God a few weeks ago. You'll have to try to find it online or something. The point is this, every single one of us is born this way. This is the natural state of every human being. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is Jesus chose him. And it's a pattern that we have seen over and over and over and over again in every single one of these encounters. Jesus initiates. He went after Nathaniel. He went after the Samaritan woman. He went after the cripple in John chapter 5. Jesus is the one who initiates contact with each and every individual. Anyone who knows Jesus is, knows him because Jesus came to them first. Did you notice that this guy isn't named? This is a long story. This is a very long story. But the Gospel of John's only 20 some odd chapters, right? 22 or something like that. Uh, and a whole chapter is dedicated to Jesus' interaction with this one guy, and we never know his name. Why is that? Scholar after scholar after scholar after scholar agrees. It's because he is meant to represent all of us. You are the blind man in the story. That's how we locate ourselves in this story. We understand that we are the blind man. Third thing. So, first thing, what was the first thing? We're all born naturally blind. Second thing. Jesus initiates this encounter. And third thing is that it takes a miracle. It takes a miracle of God to open this man's eyes. Now, a lot of people have speculated a great deal about why did Jesus do it the way he did it? Why did Jesus uh, make this mud pack and stick it on his eyes and go through all that process because there are other times where Jesus just touches somebody and boom, they're healed. Or he just says to someone, pick up your mat and get out of here and boom, they're healed. Or there's even situations where Jesus just, he's not even in the same place as the person who needs to be healed. And he just says, oh yeah, they're all better now. Your, your request has been granted and the person discovers that the, the one that they're advocating for has been healed and Jesus wasn't even in the vicinity of the person. So why on earth did Jesus go through all this stuff? And the answer is, I think, it's a reference to Genesis. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, the, discussion, uh, the description of God creating humankind and it says that he, he made man from the dust of the earth. Jesus, when he heals this blind man, understand something. It's not like he just kind of repaired his, his, uh, what are those? Give me some name parts of the eye. 
His retina. That's the one I was looking for. He didn't just fix his retina. It's not like he, it's not like this guy had cataracts or something and Jesus just performed a cataract surgery, okay? This guy was completely blind from birth and neuroscientists will tell you that in order for Jesus to heal this man's vision, Jesus didn't just have to fix some circuitry in his eye. He actually had to rewire the man's brain. Because the man would not have had the neural pathways capable of interpreting the, the things that were coming at him through his eyes because he had never, he'd never had to do that before. In other words, Jesus is making a statement that he is the creator. He's identifying himself as the creator in this moment. But here's the main point. Every single one of us is born in this state, in this circumstance. Did you notice? Did you notice how through the story nobody can believe that this is the guy? Right? The Pharisees are, were you really born blind? Yeah, honestly, I was born blind. Ask the neighbors and the people around here. Is this the dude who is who's been born since, since or been blind since he was born? I think so. Is that you? Yes, I'm the guy. Even the Pharisees call in his parents and say, was he really born blind? Yes, he was really born blind. We have a hard time believing that can actually be the case, but that's what Jesus is emphasizing over and over and over and over again. The natural state of the human heart is blind to the things of God. That's the first point. The fact of spiritual blindness. Okay, secondly, the guy can see after the intervention, and we're going to get back to that. But for now, the question is, what is spiritual blindness? What's the nature of spiritual blindness? And there's a lot of ways to talk about this and describe this, but in the interest of time and in the interest of absolute clarity, this story seems to focus on one aspect of spiritual blindness, and maybe it's the core root of spiritual blindness. It is the inability to see that you need Jesus. At its most basic and at its most root, it is the inability to see that you need Jesus. Remember, the Pharisees will not accept that this guy has been healed. How curious, eh? You're not healed. The guy's walking around like he's not bumping into stuff. He doesn't have a cane. He doesn't have anybody guiding him. He looks them straight in the eye. You're not healed. Yeah, no, really, I am. And twice they have to interrogate him. They say, it didn't happen. And if it did happen, it wasn't that Jesus who did it. Why? Because he healed you on the Sabbath. What does that have to do with anything? Well, according to their interpretation of the law, if you are going to keep the Sabbath... You would not perform medicine on the Sabbath day. And therefore, Jesus, in order to heal this guy, would have had to break the law. And if he broke the law, that meant he was a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you can't heal. Get it? Get the circle? But the principle here is, is that they think that they have the spiritual insight, that they are right, that they know And therefore, the thing that's happening right in front of them cannot be what it most obviously is. It's impossible. It can't be. And they imply that in verse 34, for example. Listen to this. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. We know. We're not the sinners. You're the sinner. 
And not only do they imply it there, but in verse 40, they basically come out and challenge Jesus on it. Some of the Pharisees heard him, these, heard him say these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? Translation, we're not blind. We know we're not blind. We can't be blind. We get it. And Jesus responds quite amazingly in verse 41. He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They simply cannot admit their blindness. That's their problem. They cannot admit that they need Jesus. That's their problem. Now listen. Most people who don't believe the gospel are people like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the put-together people. The Pharisees were the people who understood, who were well-educated and were, who were successful. They had a functional life. It was easy for the blind man to know that he needed Jesus because his blindness was easy to, was, was obvious to him and his life was a disaster. But the Pharisees, they were educated, they were successful, they had their lives together and they felt like they didn't need what Jesus was offering. And listen, the same thing happens today. We live in a very affluent part of the city. I don't know. I mean, I'm talking about Dundas. I know not all of us are from Dundas, but this area is a very affluent part of the city. And it is full, not full, but there's many, many, many very successful people who live around here. And according to the statistics, they haven't just done well professionally, they've also done well personally. So, for example, the divorce rate in Dundas is much lower than the average in the city, just as one example. And yet, when you talk to people in that kind of life, who live in that kind of socioeconomic class, and you say to them, you know, you're spiritually blind and you need Jesus, they say, what are you talking about? I'm not very religious, I'm not very interested, and I don't feel the need for it. It's very good for you, but it's not good for me. Allie said in her prayer, and it shocked me, and I wondered, what would people think? If you are not a Christian, what would you think of what Allie dared to say in the prayer? Did you catch it? She was praying for the terrorist. For the terrorist in New Zealand who gunned down 50 people out of hatred. And she had the audacity to say that he was no further from grace than we are. That is the gospel. That the worst offender on the earth is no further from the grace of God than you or me. People who pay their taxes and take care of their kids and come to church and serve people and, and try to make the community a better place. Is that honestly true? Yes, that's the gospel. And you know, it's not just out there that this is a problem. This is, this is a problem in the church too. There are all kinds of religious folk, ch church folk who say, you know, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know that. And so I go to church. And I go to worship services. 
And yet they still live very much like they're blind. They're not, they're, they're, there's no desperation in their life. If you talk to them about what Jesus has done on the cross, they, they don't, their, their faces don't light up with joy. There's no wonder and awe at the gospel. It's just kind of a ho-hum cultural ritual, them being part of a church and attending services and maybe serving in various things. It's not much different than being part of Rotary, but frankly, this is the one that they're a part of. Think about what this man's life must have been like. When he had his eyes opened and he saw light, he experienced light for the first time. He had experienced, I'm sure, kind of feeling light in in heat, in the form of heat. But to understand what light is, to see color, to see the face of his family, to see the face of people who have spoken to him for years and years and years, to finally have it, he would have walked around in awe and wonder. And there are people who come to church week after week after week, frankly, if that's you, I I apologize for being so harsh, but you need to understand that if there is no awe and wonder about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, if you don't come here with excitement to worship him, if you don't come here with a a deep need to throw your life on on him because you're, you're deep in the muck and mire and hardness of your life because you're burdened by sin or you're burdened by sorrow and you know that there is nowhere else to go because he has opened your eyes and so you just need to dump it on him if there's no sense of that at all you got to ask yourself do i think that i just need new glasses when jesus is telling you you need new eyes you need new eyes now maybe you're going whoa dude you're awful worked up and now i'm disturbed you've disturbed me it's one of my jobs, okay? So if I disturbed you, good on me. I, I'm, I'm doing my job. And you're wondering, well, how can I know if that's me? Like, how do I know if I'm blind? How, and how do I see? How do I know if I'm starting to see? You've, you've kind of undermined my assurance, Mr. Preacher Man. Well, here's what you need. You need the healing of spiritual blindness. You need to look for the healing of spiritual blindness. This is the third point. Remember I said, first of all, Jesus chose this man. Jesus found him. Jesus sought him out, and Jesus healed him. Jesus did it. Here's the first way you know if you have any even twinkling of spiritual sight. You have a profound awe and wonder that you have been saved. It was a miracle that this man could see. It is a miracle that any one of us is a Christian at all. Do you understand that if you have even the the least little bit of desire to have Jesus be the Lord of your life and King of your life, you are a walking miracle? You are a walking miracle. What you are is something that, that the natural forces of the physical universe in which we live in are simply incapable of producing. 
Jesus says, I am the only one in history who knows what life is about. And if you're a person who has said, I have come to believe that that is true, that a man who lived some 2,000 years ago actually is God in the flesh, and he is the answer to all of life questions. I believe that in my bones. I am gambling this short 80 years or whatever I've got on this planet. I am gambling that that's true. I'm throwing my lot in with him. You are an absolute miracle. you wake up in the morning and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That's the first thing. The second thing you need to know is, is that spiritual healing is both, is both instant and gradual. Because this man, he was given his sight, but, but his understanding came a lot more slowly. He was healed instantly. But even think about it. If he, if he was healed instantly and he was given his sight instantly, there was a lot that he didn't understand. He didn't know what was coming out of him. It's not like God downloaded uh, an understanding of what a tree and what a, what a chair and what a human being and what a fox and what a platypus and all those other things look like to him. He had a lot of things to learn even though he now had been granted the gift of sight. And in the same way, even though you're granted the gift of sight, that doesn't mean you understand everything. In verse 6, he's told, go and wash. He just goes and does it. By verse 11, they say, who healed you? And he says, ah, the guy, Jesus. That's all he knows. Verse 17, he's being interrogated by the Pharisees, and they're like, so, what do you think about him? He goes, well, he's got to at least be a prophet. Verse 22, his parents are kind of wondering, maybe this guy's the Christ, So he probably had been wondering the same thing himself. By verse 25, they said, well, this guy's a sinner. And he goes, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. All I know is I I once was blind and now I can see. And by verses 30 through 33, he's in this exchange with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, well, he can't have done it because he's a sinner and he healed you on that. And he goes, well, this is, he says, it's so funny. It's actually, he's, you can tell he's getting understanding because he's talking to the religious leaders and now he's sort of like being sarcastic toward them. And he says, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he come from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He starts debating with the Pharisees over the character and nature of Jesus, and he's processing exactly what happened to him. He's working out the implications of the evidence. And of course, they hate him for it, and they boot him out of the place. And then along comes Jesus, and, and Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man, verse 35? And, and he says, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus is asking, do you trust that I've been sent from God? And he's like, who, who's been sent from God? I want to believe in the one sent from God. And Jesus says, it's me. And verse 38, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is how it goes, okay? Your spiritual sight is something that develops as you struggle to process 
what you're learning in the Bible, what you're hearing and preaching at churches, what you're hearing from friends or parents or people uh, about God, maybe people further along in their, in their walk with the Lord. It's not something that you just accept out of the blue. I, I'm really, if, if you're here and you've always thought that Christianity is kind of about turning your brain off and believing a bunch of stuff that is really hard to believe, but believing it blindly, please understand that is never, ever, ever what the gospel calls you to do. The gospel calls you to hear and believe, yes, but Jesus wants you to process and to think and to wrestle with and look at the evidence and decide. You have to come to grips with things. The Bible says you are a wicked sinner in need of a savior. That's not easy to take. Especially in a culture that has been telling us all along as we've been growing up. You're great. You're awesome. Here's your Timbits trophy. Jesus says, I'm the son of God. I am actually God in human form. Hmm, that's quite a claim. If you blindly accept these things and say, yeah, oh, cool, of course, I get it, and you never have a doubt in your mind at all, frankly, I wonder, maybe you're still blind. It's a process. Third thing, though, is it culminates in worship. For the blind man, his healing culminated in worship. As clarity increased, he was driven to worship, and it always does. It always does, because listen, what is worship? What is worship? What are we actually doing here? We're at a worship service. What we're doing is, is we're expressing what our hearts believe, which is that Jesus Christ is of supreme value in our lives. That's what worship is. You are all worshiping something, whether it's the God of the Bible, or your career, or your athleticism, or your great looks, or your bank account, or your education, you are worshiping something. In other words, there's something in your life that is of absolute supreme value to you, that matters more to you than anything else. And it's, and it's more than just saying, I love you most. The way you know it's worship is if you are conforming the pattern of your life according to that highest priority. Are you prioritizing that thing more than anything else? And you know that if you worship your athleticism, then you will prioritize your workouts. If you worship your bank account, you will prioritize making money. If you worship your children, you will prioritize driving them to every possible extracurricular activity you can sign them up for. The list goes on and on and on. But if you worship Jesus, that means that he is the central orientating thing in your life. He's the, the hub of the wheel of your life. Everything spins around him. This man went from not knowing who put mud on his eyes to reflecting on what Jesus did for him to understanding who Jesus is and finally to giving his entire life to him. Here's how you know if you can spiritually see when you think of Jesus, when you come to a worship service like this and you hear songs about how Jesus died for you and he is the Holy One, the Lord of creation, you, you want to give yourself to him. Maybe you're not good at it. Maybe tomorrow you're going to fail a hundred times in giving yourself entirely to him. But when you think about him, you want to give yourself to him because you see that he gave his entire self to you. Remember the story of the cross 
that Jesus, when he hung on that cross, what happened? Darkness came down, didn't it? There was an eclipse. And the land became dark, but it wasn't just physical darkness that came down because Jesus also cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was plunged into spiritual darkness. He lost the light of his father's love. The love that he had always known, that he could always depend on. And he had had perfect spiritual sight. He could see into people's hearts. He knew God's love for him in, in all of its purity. He could sense the reality of the Father before time and in time, but not on the cross because he had been cut off and plunged into spiritual darkness for you, for you, for you, for you. Now, when you see him doing that, When you see him doing that and you believe that he is doing that for you, for you, not just for people, but for you, you're starting to see. You've begun to worship. If that's not you this morning, I, I afternoon, I plead with you. I, you know, I do not, I'm just praying, as I'm preaching, I'm praying at the same time. It's a hard thing to do. Because I know that no matter how hard I say it, no matter how much I cry, no matter how much I plead, no matter how eloquent I am, no matter what I say, I cannot give you sight. No matter how beautiful a picture of Jesus I paint for you, it does not matter how good I am at this. I cannot make you see, and you can't make your loved ones see, and nobody can make anybody see. And so I am praying the whole time, Holy Spirit, make my words hit their hearts. Make it, whack them. Don't let them leave here saying, oh, that was interesting. Boy, that guy's emotional. Man, what a fun church. Make them leave having met you. And if you are stirred in even the littlest, tiniest, itty-bittiest way right now, please, please, do you not realize right now a miracle is happening in you? Please do not shut it down. Do not shut it down. He's either a king or a crackpot. I promise you he's a king, but he is a most worthy king because he's a king who died because he loves you so much. You can trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the spiritual sight you have given those of us who can see. Forgive us for our treating you as a consultant sometimes, rather than as a king. Be with those who may be here this morning, this afternoon, who have, who have not really seen you for who you are yet. Please, give us sight. 
it is impossible for us to believe this crazy story if you do not open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts too. Be at work, O oh God, giving sight to the blind so that the world may worship you, who is the light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.